0: adult film stars and sportsmen drag racers big jed we've got a big show on tap with an incredible guest
1: yeah we do Luke. we're going to talk to the 2021 nhra stock eliminator world champion jerry emmons and uh in, in full transparency we've already had this discussion with jerry and we're, we're recording the intro Last, <laughs> if you've gotten to this point and you hear, oh crap, it's an interview show. I'm gonna go do something else. You're doing yourself a serious disservice. I mean, what a genuine, wonderful family. But in particular, our guest tonight, Jerry Emmons, a, a genuine and wonderful man and and racer, wonderful racer. It was great. Luke. I enjoyed that interview thoroughly, and I know the listener will as well.
0: I feel like I say this every show where we have. Uh, a prominent racer come on. Like this was my favorite interview, (laughs) but I'm telling you this ranks right up there. And I don't, I don't think you can listen to the next hour and a half and not leave a fan of Jerry Emmons and the Emmons family. Jed, like in the conversation, we run the gamut, right? History walk through 2021, hit all the hot, hot button topics, ask, Threw him some softballs, asked some hard questions. Like what comes through is this mixture that I think is so difficult to come by. There is an obvious humility, like you hear who Jerry is, where he came from, and and the gratitude that comes along with the the position that he's in today. Mix that with an intense. Pride, I think, for lack of a better like, he is very aware of what he just accomplished and doesn't doesn't shy away from it a bit, right? Like, I did this, and I'm freaking proud of it, and there is no reason to be ashamed to being proud of it. I thought that was awesome.
1: It was awesome, Luke. Uh, just you know the you you hear in this interview, you're going to hear about his his upbringing, his you know the tradition in his family. Uh, his approach to racing and how it has changed over his career. But the one word that I keep thinking about that describes Jerry and he used it himself is thankful. And that rings through as you hear him talk about the opportunities he's been awarded to, to go racing and just life in general. So you're going to hear a wonderful story. Uh, it's a lot of great racing in there and it's got a lot of good family stuff in it too it's it was the perfect interview and we we appreciate jerry so much and listeners sit back and enjoy it's a long one it's one of our longer interviews but it is absolutely wonderful and uh and i was thankful myself to be a part of it
0: 100 so we'll tee it up jerry emmons but first pj north All right, as we continue our traditional off-season championship profile series, we are joined here on our second episode as we run through champions by yet another Texan. Today's guest, none other than reigning NHRA Stock Eliminator World Champion Jerry Emmons. Jerry, thank you for joining us today.
2: Luke, it's glad to be here. Jared, it's good. It's good to be here with you as well. And I have to tell you that. That has a great ring to it. So thank you. Thank you for that.
1: <laughs> uh, we we have the best guests. You know, I mean, world champion, Emmons, that stuff just goes together. And here you are on the podcast with us, getting to to discuss it and celebrate it. So we're excited to have you, Jerry. We really appreciate you taking some time for us and can't wait to hear more about your season and, and career in general. This is going to be a great show.
2: I'm looking Dad,
0: forward how cool to it. Is it? How cool is it to be us? It's yeah, amazing. pretty good. <laughs> All right. So Jerry, you and your family, you've been hard at this for, well, you personally, what three plus decades, your family, much longer than that. In that time, you've accumulated one world championship of Speedy in 1994. Honestly, when we step back from that, I don't mean this as a slight, I mean, this as a compliment I think for most of us, that's hard to believe. Like you guys as a family and and individually have been such prominent names in the sport for so long, 47 national event wins, I believe is the number combined 17, I think division four championships. Why had a championship eluded you and your family since
2: 1994? That's a great question. And hopefully we can dive into that and I can give a pretty good explanation, but I think, uh, one of the biggest reasons for myself personally, I think I had a tendency to stick with something too long, trying to make something work. Uh, for a lot of years, I drove a, you know, I stock automatic, which was like a 12.0 at the time for me, 1180 to 12.0. And that, that wasn't that bad of a, of a ride for the time, especially back then. I changed to to a '69 Camaro big block combination, so I could speed up with the with the category, and increase my odds. And really, I thought I thought was good, probably going to have some instant success if I could drive it halfway decent, as I did my Chevelle. And that was not to be. I don't. I have really no other explanation other than with that came. Other issues that I had never experienced, for example, with my Chevelle, I would always leave first for the most part, clean tree, mm-hmm. no problem. And with the Camaro, I now found myself leaving second, uh, you know, even though the tree has a divider in it, you know, you see that car is going out in front of you yep. and things of that nature. And then also I was, I wouldn't say I was great, but I was pretty good at being out in front, looking over my shoulder. Now I'm the faster car, and yes, you're coming from behind, so it should make it easier. but there for me, there's a point of diminished return when I'm running up on someone so fast and you know say that I'm twenty to thirty and I'm going one or two under the other guy's twenty or thirty, and he's one above to the floor. That's not a very big window to to slide down in there and close it up, especially if I'm going ten fifties and they're going thirteens or eighties. so so I encountered a lot of that. But for me personally, I think I definitely stuck with trying to make things work too long. Uh, we had some issues all you know, trying to figure out dialing in when we would use certain weather predictors. Mm-hmm. We thought we would make it work. And for example, if the moment I thought I would have figured out a weather strategy that I could use, well, then I would have a bad race, right? So let's say I would lose... I don't know, early in eliminations. So I couldn't test it anymore because I was done for the weekend. So then I'd have to wait for the next event to go. And you can't go to a Saturday night bracket race and test the predictors because everything will be be completed. Yes, exactly. Mm So I needed something with wind variance. I needed something with some temperature variance and things like that. And I think as the years went on, I lost a lot of self confidence. I didn't feel like uh, I don't want to say that I felt like I couldn't win, but there was for a lot of years I felt like I was not at the top of my game, and I was struggling to get there. And so I just kept making a mistake after mistake, and 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 then here we are. You know, we're so many years later, and you're exactly right. I look up. And like, my gosh, how can we haven't won a, a world championship? It's been a while since I won a division championship. It's something, you know, I'll think like that. Or and so you just have to, I had to be better at stepping back and analyzing my program and my my brothers too. But uh not to keep talking, but like one thing that I think I, I really found out was when I would have a bad outing. Well, then one of my brothers would do really good. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel like you're a failure collectively because one of the brothers has the torch and they're doing good. Well, then that brother may not do as well at the next event, but then the other brother may grab it and he may, if not win runner up, he may go deep. And so it was just not analyzing my own program as often Mm -hmm. as I should. And then I drove two cars for a while. I felt like that. Um, and I haven't decided if I'm going to drive two this next season. I think I was distracted with that as well when I started doing bad. You know, and then you get in another car and it just kind of just gets away from you.
0: All right. So a lot of threads to, to pull on there. I'll, I'll, pick a, I'll pick one to start with. Just give me the timeline. Like, When was the the change in the stock eliminator program from the iAutomatic Chevelle to your current Camaro? How long ago was that?
2: I think that was 2006, I believe, is when I changed. And the way you kind of frame that initially, the feeling was that that was
0: probably a a few years overdue, right? In terms of like, feel like you could have been more competitive going faster earlier. And- the, the transition to the, the faster
2: equipment wasn't as smooth as you had anticipated. That is exactly right. And to, to kind of give you a little small backstory on that, so uh, we had already said that, okay, we're going to put a big block in my Chevelle and I'm going to just make that a faster a faster car. Well, the Chevelle obviously is my, one of my dad's first race cars. He used to be a super back in the day. And so we had went and already talked to an engine builder and we were going to build a big block for it. And, and it was with uh, with Mike Trumbull and the guys he had at, at his shop at the time. And what had happened was my father had went over there because the machine shop was close to our house. And he would just, my dad's retired. He would just go over there, you know, go into the speed shop and start talking. We sees some parts over there and a big block and some heads with my name on it. And he's asking around, like, well, "What's going on here?" And then, so one of the guys said, "Well, your son Jerry's building a big block for the Chevelle," and that ended that right then and there. I had to sell everything because my dad said, "No, we're not doing that to that car. It's going to be thing. a small block car, and that's the way it's going to be." So, so what? It, so that's what prompted me to go to the '69 Camaro. So my brother Terry had actually been driving that car, and he had sent that car off. He pulled the motor out and. Sent it to a guy named Ronnie Spears, and he had started working on it, you know, getting it scaled and doing all that kind of stuff. And we had a motor for it, and he kind of had did that behind the curtain without my father knowing. And then, but that was a different situation because my dad had had that Chevelle for so long; it was his prized possession, and that it was it was going to be what it is to the end of time. But the Camaro was a different story. So when the Camaro was finished, I I had asked my brother, Terry, I said, look, I I really want to, want to, I need to get into a faster car. And at the time he was wanting to run a super stocker. So I said, look, I had this, the 69 Camaro convertible that we had just got back from Wise Carver. And I said, uh, I'll just swap you, you drive this car and I'm, and I'm going to drive your Camaro. And we're gonna, and that's exactly what we did. And and I hated to park the Chevelle because that's my favorite race car. Even though I won the championship in this Camaro, and I I love the Camaro, but the Chevelle just has a lot of sentimental for me as well. And so, so is that, that car how still I, part of the family. Absolutely, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm working on it now. I'm putting a four twenty seven in it. Uh, actually, is what I was doing this past weekend.
0: So,
1: Jerry, from the outside looking in. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong, for many sportsman racers that run the classes you run, it, it takes some early season success to motivate you to continue to stretch your schedule out and, and uh, attend more events and events outside of your your general division in your area. Um, so it, it didn't look like you know, when you didn't have that early season success, it didn't look like you really chased the championships that hard. So I would say there's one of the, the things that uh, I guess kept you from accomplishing that goal is, you know, just pushing yourself to, to go to so many races when you didn't have early season success. Uh, and again, I could be wrong there. That's a, just a perception from the outside, but you guys have had some near misses you and your brothers. Um, when you, when you were in position, to possibly win a championship. Uh, you, you both have been very close. Tell us about that.
2: Big Jed. That's a, that is exactly right. So several times when we would just be okay in the standings, and, but there was not an actual chance to win the championship. You're exactly right. When, when work was busy, we probably in our minds made it more, made it to where we felt like we had to be at work when we, just as easily could have slid off and went to a, went to an event and and raced and that was now looking back, you know. Anytime you're having a bad run, you have to race through it, right? Instead of just taking the easy way out and not doing it, and th- that'll never happen again, ever. If we're having a bad year, we're still we're still going to go, and and all the all of the greats and, I'm sure, and Luke Luke will admit it when you have a bad uh, outing or an event or whatever, you don't just park it. You got to keep going. So, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. And we had, a, we had a lot of opportunities in the past to win and we didn't, uh, I think for me, 2017 was, uh, I had, I would, I don't want to say I had the great chance, but I had a very good chance uh, to win the championship. That was the year I believe Justin Lamb won the stock. And my father had passed away when we were at the Oklahoma divisional event. We were just about to park when we, when we, heard the news of what had happened. So we left and yes, we could have went out West and, and gave it a pretty good run, but obviously I didn't feel like doing that. And, and I had hoped that it was going to be another opportunity, some somewhere along the line, but as far as my brothers as well, right. Uh, Opportunities just went just slipped through their hands, whether it was a mistake on their end or whether it was, sometimes you just get beat and, and that's okay. Right. But I think I can speak, for all of us racers that when you get beat, it's not so much that you lose it's you want to lose with dignity, meaning you want to be able to put it in drive, leaving, leaving the grounds that you gave it 110%. And generally speaking, when you lose, that's not, that's not what happened. You made a bad run and you didn't deserve it. So, uh, yeah, so that's where you have to be strong and know that, okay you got to come back next week or next month, whatever, whenever the next event is and you have to be better.
1: Yeah. And you touched on it just a little bit, but you know, in those, some of those championship runs or hopes for a championship, you know, there, there was some drivers that had incredible runs themselves that, that just couldn't be beat. You know, they, they had hot streaks that put them in position where somebody had to do something pretty phenomenal to beat them. And You know, sometimes all of us fall victim to that. So. In those lost championship years, there, there's just so many things you, you kind of beat yourself up a little bit about, you know, changing combos and some of the looks you were seeing on the racetrack being different and challenging you to the point where you come up a little short, but uh, I'm sure in a lot of those years, there was some really, really good performances by someone where they were just hot and, and wasn't going to lose. And, you know, we all fall victim to those racers.
2: That is exactly right. And. One example, I could give you several examples this year where guys put together some pretty impressive runs that still fell my way. And I'm not gonna tell you that uh, that I'm you know the greatest or anything like that, but I was lucky enough to be double O several times and I needed to be, right? So Who's to say two thousand twenty-two? Those double o four five six sevens aren't negative double o four five six sevens. I mean, that's my that's not my intention. But I was very fortunate, and I'm glad for that. But I'm not naive to think, oh, I'm the man. You know, I'm I'm the greatest of all time. I'm not like that. I'm just I'm definitely taking everything in, in stride and knowing that I'm very fortunate. But you d- definitely have to have to have luck. And uh, Gary Stinnett one year went out to Vegas, and him and I are pretty good friends. But I watched him. He had, to, I think he had to win the Vegas divisional to get back in front and to lock up the world championship and SuperComp. And, you know, Vegas at the end of the year and SuperComp, are you kidding me? I mean, that's anybody's game. So he goes out there and clicks off one round, two rounds, two rounds, and he ends up winning the event. At least I believe he won or he won or won to run it up. Anyway, when it when he left, he was out in front. When he left the event, he was in front and he won the world championship. And I, and I always use him as my reference. I always say that when people win the championship, they do something extraordinary. So why can't I be that guy? Why can't I get that chance? So I have to put myself in position to be there. I'm never going to win stand at home. I'm never going to win with a negative mentality. I have to change that. And I'm going to surround myself with people that can get me to that level.
1: Well said. Uh,
2: yeah, that's an excellent explanation. I think it was actually off air
0: um, when we had Jimmy Lewis on. He, I think he had uh, referenced Tommy Costalis, another superclass racer that you're obviously familiar with, Jerry. And, and he said that years ago, Tommy had told him that the difference between a world championship and a top 10 finish is the difference between 90 with a zero and 89.9. you know, and, and obviously that's specific to the super classes, but there is that element of, you call it good fortune, call it, everything just has to line up. You've got to, you're going to get those seemingly unbeatable runs beside you occasionally, and it just has to line up where you're just a little bit better. And then when you make a mistake, it's got to line up to where they make a worse mistake. And when it all falls into place, there is, there's an element of good fortune. And there's an element of putting yourself in position to take advantage of it. As you have mentioned, I think when we look back and, and frame, you know, the, your racing career, right. And we talked about the, the frustration, if you will, of having so much success and not reaching the ultimate peak. And now obviously you do that here in 2021. So the obvious question is, okay, like, well, well what changed? And I think to some extent you just described that as reading through, um, the write-up in your championship write-up in national drag Extra that I believe Kevin McKenna did. And you specifically, um, alluded to two things that you feel like changed. And I want to pull on both of those strings. Now, the first from a, from a driver standpoint, you were, you've been very quick to, um, to heap praise on your relationship with Lee Zane. Talk a little bit about that, how he came into your racing and how you feel like that was a catalyst of some sort.
2: There is no doubt we would not be having this conversation if it were not for Lee Zane helping me. I'm 100% a believer in his program and what he's done for me. In 2018, lee came to the u.s nationals and we had talked prior to that and i had told him that i had really had some frustrations with my driving and i just wasn't happy could you come assist and we so we worked out a program and he came over and looked at my program and paid attention as i went up to make a run he would he was running stock as well that weekend but he would come back from making the run and being in the staging lanes. And I would not see him, but he was, he was monitoring what I was doing, what I was looking at, uh, you know, my procedure, my burnout, my staging, things like that. So as the weekend went on, we talked more and more and I knew right then that he was the guy that I needed to have in my corner. He was very good at explaining things. And, and, cause I, you know, we all have that basic skill set and I, I have been successful winning national events, winning division championships, finishing top 10, but you know, I just couldn't get it to the next level. So, and I I've said it before, I have no ego. You can tell me straight, like, and that's what I wanted. I, and I told Lee, I said, whatever we do from this point forward, I do not need a yes man in my corner. I need you to tell me the truth. And so we had talked quite a bit. And uh, so we He really just very, very good at getting my mental attitude right back up instead of being down in the gutter. He made me believe in myself again as a driver that, you know, it's okay to make bad runs, but this is what we're going to do. He was very good at, we had a practice tree regimen that he designed, I feel like specifically for me. He may do it for all of his students, but I I felt the program was very tailored to my needs. and he helped me with not only with the starting line but with the practice i mean with the uh, weather system you know with the weather with tune up for the car uh you know we talked about finish line strategy all the time so the more i was around him and he always answers every call so obviously he lives on the east coast and so we for sometimes talking for him it was midnight one o'clock in the morning but we were talking and he never cuts the call short i'm always the one that ends the call that's very important to me and uh, I felt that in our relationship as, as friends really blossomed from it. And, and, uh, it's really, for me, wonderful to have met him and then to have such a good relationship, but also for him to share in this championship with me, because i couldn't, I could not have done it without him. And the fact that he cared so much to really help, and I know it's a business for him, but it's also, he's passionate about it and he could tell I was passionate about wanting to win. He, he knew I was wanting to, to, to take it to the next level. I wasn't just out there trying to make laps. I'm I'm way beyond that. I want to get, I want to be great. And uh, I'll say this, and I hope this, this doesn't sound wrong to, to the viewers, but one thing my brothers and I talk about, my older brother has already, has already won the world championship. Right. So he's, he's good. And that's just for him. It's maybe it's just adding another one at some point, but for m- myself and Terry and Gary, we we talk about this a lot and i know that this may sound a little odd but i have always felt and we talk openly about this i've always felt that if the day i take my last breath and i'm at and we're in the church or wherever we are and we're having a funeral service if the words that that comes out of the preacher's mouth or whoever's doing the service whoever speaks if they do not say that i was that I was not a world champion at some point then I feel like my life was very unfulfilled. Now I say that now I'm, I'm a dad of two children and I have a great business with my family and there's nothing better than race with my family, but that weighs heavy on me because winning the world championship is everything to me. It's just as important as my children. It's just as important as, as my wife and my, and my brothers. I mean, I wanted to win that and they feel the same way. So, if that gives you any insight as to how important that this, that this was for me and it's life changing in in my world. I mean, it's no different than a, than a guy going to school, to, to become a doctor and, and he, and he's at this hospital and he's a specialist and he's working among his peers, right? You all want to be recognized for the great work that you do. It's I don't think that it's bad that I want to be recognized as a world champion because it's important to me because I feel like it's not me, it's everyone around me that has helped myself get to this level. And so I want to have my arms, like I have this umbrella that is all of us together, and these are my people. And I'm proud to show that people like Gary Stanton, Lee Zane, my best friend, Jeffrey Miller, all my brothers, Scotty Richardson, I mean, all the people that have helped me get to this point, it's important to know that all of you were there to help me. I think it's really refreshing to hear you
0: put that type of emphasis on this, particularly in hindsight, because I think it is so easy to build up an achievement, an accomplishment and set it on a pedestal. And then once we reach that peak to, to just kind of move the finish line, right? Like, or, or move, yeah, like move the, move the marker, right? Like, okay, that, that was cool, but what's next? And it's, it's really cool to hear you say like, no, that was, that was it. Like, that's what I've been working my entire life for and to put it the way that you put it. I I remember, um, I I think it was the, the year that I ended up winning my first championship. I remember telling my wife, like, don't ever, whether I, if I ever win one of these and whether I end up winning one or 10, don't ever let me. Get to that point with a world championship. Like, don't ever, because you, you got all of these accomplishments in the past, whether they're event wins or whatever. And like, once you've done them, you're like, eh, yeah, yeah, that, that was cool, right? It, it it you just turn that focus to what's next. But when you get there, when you reach the the peak of the mountain mountain, to actually take a moment and reflect and realize, like, oh, this is this is it. Yeah, I'd love to do it again, but this is really really important. Has been important to me for a long time. I I just I just wanted to butt in and say I love
2: hearing you say that. Thank you, and it it really is. And I just I was watching a episode not an episode, but I was watching something on YouTube the other night. I'm a, I'm a big YouTube guy about motivation. Like I watch some a lot of things about Muhammad Ali, and then somehow I came across this uh, this YouTube video of Matthew McConaughey accepting, I think, a Grammy award, and he said, I believe, if if I'm accurate, and, and what he said, he said, you have, you have to have something to look up to something to look forward to. And you have to have someone to chase. And I've, I've really hung on to that. And he's exactly right. And chasing the world championship. And like, even, even though that, that, that we did it, well, it's, we're still going to, we're, we're going to move it, right? I'm not going to quit or retire say, Hey, I've done it all. And we're going home. It's just as important to win it again, to help my brothers win it, to help my friends win it or any, anyone out there, uh, that wants to be successful in, in anything. I just really enjoy racing so much. I feel like it completes me when, when I met my wife, coincidentally, I met her at the racetrack years ago uh, and you know we just dated and and here we are today. But she, she knew that racing is a very important thing in my life. And before we, as we were dating. I told her, I said, just, you can ever, you can never give me an option of racing or the relationship, I, I don't want to sound white trash. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm picking racing over you, but at some point racing, will have to take a priority over our relationship just for a few weeks and then I'm, then I'm back to being devoted and whatever we have to do to have a, to have a wonderful life. And she has really understood that and stood by me. So. It's a it's a great thing when you have a lot of good people that understand and share your passion because without that without the friends that I have and without people like you and I'm going to touch on you here in just a second something you you did for me a while back but without the 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 good people in my life and the friends and the and uh, and everyone that has that helped us get to this level there really wouldn't be any value in this right like so many people have called me. And sent messages to me or through Messenger or through my phone. And they're really happy. And it's amazing to see so many people that are just genuinely happy for for you to, to win the championship. And like that just motivates me to be an even better friend to someone. To even, you know, if someone has a question to talk to them and maybe help them out or something if I can. But it's incredible the amount of support that that is out there. And I and most of my friends are in the racing industry, right? I've, I mean, we're in the car business and we've done this for since I was born. My dad started like and Mister Trumbull started it back in 1972, and here we are all these years later. And I only have maybe ten friends in the car business. All my friends are in the the racing world. So and I love that. But if I can touch on something, Luke, years ago you and I ran, uh, I believe it was at an IHRA event and. Uh, Lufkin, Texas in Pine Valley. I don't believe you were driving your red Nova at the time in stock eliminator. And I think you were driving another car there. I I don't remember if it was your Vega or not, but I remember you drove your Nova and you and I had a really good race, like in the quarterfinals and the favor came out on my end. And then I I ended up winning, winning the event. So I drove there in my 1976 car hauler, And you had your your I think a dually with a with a living quarters trailer if I remember correctly, and before we left I went up to the tower grabbed my check and I stopped by your truck so I could talk to you about uh, you know hey thanks a lot we had a good race and you offered so we were sitting there you were eating a a I believe it was a it was a chicken pot pie so you heated me one up so we talked for twenty five to thirty minutes talking about life talking about racing and the passion that conversation that we had for 30 minutes eating a chicken pot pie was probably one of the most impressive things because you've always been successful for as long as I followed you. So you're someone that I have always looked up to someone that I, that I try to mentor after. And I just want to thank you for that because that conversation all those years ago still stick with me. So just so you know.
0: No, that's awesome. I I specifically remember the chicken pot pie, but <laughs>
2: microwave (laughs) special betty crocker to the front you got it it was awesome it was really good (laughs) marie calendars baby, right marie calendar that's what it was
1: (laughs) (laughs) what a memory Uh, jerry in your national dragster interview you you talked about team organization and and the fact that that your team had lacked it in the past and obviously you got a lot to keep up with there's a ton of moving parts in in your racing life and your personal life, but discuss that a little bit. uh, how you guys made the change that or changes that you needed to make.
2: Absolutely. I'm glad to do it. So I called a meeting with my brothers and a few of our friends that go racing with us. And I wanted to do it away from the race shop, away from the the dealership. I said let's let's have a, a meeting one night. So we go to Lupe Tortillas and I said, we need to have a business meeting about what's going on in our program. Now, this was at the beginning of, uh, was it, 2019, I believe it was. And we meet there. I have a, I've already spent the day making all my notes. I had the clipboard out, and we sit down. And so for us, I guess it was basically, because we work a lot, just like everyone does, right? And you have to cram in getting everything ready to go to the races. We don't have anyone specifically to load our race rig, to clean the cars. We just, we do that ourselves when when we're not working. And we work six days a week and and so it's a balance to try to get everything done at the same time. So we said, okay, one person needs to be responsible. So one brother now is responsible for ordering tires. One brother is responsible for ordering fuel. One brother is responsible for getting the drinks and the food ready for, for when we leave. And just that alone, and that that's only a small portion of it, but just that alone eliminates all this free-for-all style that we had. And then not knowing really where we are, what time we're leaving. And unfortunately, we're still, when I say we're leaving at six o'clock at in the evening, we leave at 10 o'clock at night. I don't I still haven't got that sped up correctly, but but getting organized was a huge factor because a cluttered mind is cluttered thoughts and cluttered performance. And we thought if we could just streamline that a little bit, be more efficient, we'll be more efficient in our decision-making, and it has. It, it's, it's really helped us and helped us in our program.
1: Yeah, team that size with that much going on, that that seems to, to be a necessity. And obviously you guys found uh, the the new system to be beneficial for you. And I guess what I'm hearing is instead of everybody worrying about everything – uh, nobody has to worry about anything. So uh, that, that I'm sure that leads to much more peace at the racetrack and beyond.
2: It, absolutely. And it, and it went to, you know, whereas, you know, just from going to the races, getting ready to go to the races, it went to one brother is responsible. Like it's his sole duty to get the weather machine put up while the, while two of us are getting the awning poles out of the trailer. And we've, and it takes it still takes a while, don't get me wrong, but we definitely are a whole lot farther ahead in our program than we were even four years ago.
1: Yeah, I'm sure I, anybody yeah. if, if anybody's seen your setup at the track and and I've seen it before in person and, and seen many pictures. <laughs> there's a that's a lot to get tucked up under the awning and, and get situated there in the pits. You guys you guys have a lot of pieces to tend to.
2: Well, th- thank you, and I, I appreciate the compliment. We really want to represent Lucas Oil Products and what they do for us and Hoosier Racing Tires and VP. We really want to represent them to the best of our ability because we're very grateful for their belief in us so that we can go to the races and so that we can operate at a corporate level because that's important to us and, and to my family. So we want do to the, do the best that, that we can. I remember going to the races when we were younger, like when we all had car haulers and, and open trailers, you know, we, we always do things. We've always had a budget and we've always had to stay lean, but we, like we would go to AutoZone, right. And our car hauler. So we'd buy a spare water pump, spark plug wires, distributor cap, rotors, uh, belts, hoses, things like that. And we'd charge it on a credit card and we would go, to the event. And if we made it home without using any of those items, we'd go back Monday morning, we get our money back and return all and return all the parts. So we, so we we wouldn't be out all that money. And we did that at, at every event. So we would go from one auto store to another, to another, so that they wouldn't catch on to what we were doing. Every time we go out of town, it was a little embarrassing, but we, you know, <laughs> at the time you had to do what, what you had to do. And, and, but when we, when we look back at that and then we look at the opportunities that we've had through our career as racing. It's really, I guess that's why I hate to overuse the word thankful, but I'm very appreciative of the people that have, that have believed in us, even through the tough years when we didn't have as much success on the racetrack as we had hoped. They stuck with us and they really, you know, they really appreciated the effort. And then you know here we and here we are today. So we're glad to represent them, in, in the way that we can, and we're going to make it better. We're going to get better every year. And so I feel like you have set the
0: the table, in a in a broad perspective. Like here's here's who I am. Here's who we are as a racing team as a family. We've got the history. Let's zoom in now a little bit on 2021 specifically. You get off to a a good start with the win at the Houston Division race. Hometown division race. I know it's always got to be special for you guys to win at HRP.
2: Oh, absolutely. I won my first national event. Actually, let me back up. I won my first divisional event in 1989 against a guy by the name of Ron Gary at the Houston Raceway Park track. And then in 1990, I won my first national event at Houston Raceway Park. And at that very same facility, I met my wife. Uh, Just one, you know one during a national event, her dad, uh, had some ties to the racetrack and working there. And she was, she just so happened to be working the turnaround back in the day. Uh, they didn't have the four wheelers with the little bars to push off the pro car. So she would run out there, grab the parachute. She's pretty tall. She's six two. So she would grab the parachute, throw them on back of the wing of the top fielders and the funny car. So, so I met my wife at, at that event. And, uh, and then, yeah, so between winning my divisional event, my national event and my brothers too. I think they want, they've all won national events there. So it's very, very important to us. And we're sad to see it go. It's going to close up at, the, in 2022 after the national event, That's going to be a, a sad thing to see, but it's a very special place to race. Absolutely. As you proceed
0: through the season as a highlight to, to uh, at Tulsa, we're runner up going consistent rounds everywhere. Um, And I guess looking back now that puts you in position, but let's be honest, like you probably weren't really on the radar in terms of national championship contenders until this seven week stretch in October, or I'm sorry, seven day stretch in October. You, you mentioned earlier that, and I feel like this is a catalyst for it. How you said, well, you know, having a a mediocre season or above slightly above average season, we're never giving up again. And I assume that this is why like you go through this seven day stretch, which included the noble points meet, the makeup of the Houston national event, which happened at Dallas and the Dallas national event. And you all, but run the table. I think, uh, let's see, if we put it all together, it would have been like 17 and one or something like that. Like walk me through that
2: week. That was, I don't even want to say that I didn't think I could do that because. We all dream of doing something like that. No joke. But when I won the Houston divisional, my only goal at that point was, it was very important to me. I have a, a, a four-year-old daughter and a not yet two-year-old son, and it was very important to me to have a winner's circle picture with them, holding them, and it just so happened to be at Houston. So that was a big goal checked off my list. And at, from that moment on, it just felt fun. It felt fun again. So when we go and we, we do that, the Houston runoff and then the, the Dallas national man at the same time, when we, when we win the, the first race. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. Right. I mean, it's like, wow, this is incredible. And then, and obviously that's after the, the, uh, Tulsa, I believe it was Tulsa. And I just, we go into the Dallas national and. I'm not even, you're right. I'm not even thinking about points chase. I'm not, I'm just out there racing to win. That's all I want to do. I want to win a national event. Give me another one. That's what I want. And only after, not even during the event, only after the event, when we were loading, I was talking to my best friend, Jeffrey Miller, who's been a, a great help in my program as well. Only after talking to him, he's like, you have a pretty good shot at this. And I was like, are you serious? And then so we, we were kind of talking about it. And that's when I knew, okay, we're ha- we in position. Now all we have to do is execute. So it was an incredible, it happened so fast that you don't, you're not, you're in the moment. So you're not, you don't have time to think, but then when it's over and you're loading and you think about what just transpired and not just for me, but for my brother too. my older brother Harvey, everybody knows him as Speedy. He had won one and run it up as well, just like I did. So we were all having a really good time. And then when the smoke settles, then you look at, at the possibility to make a run for the, for the national championship. And here we go. This is like, you just put fuel on the fire for me. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for the challenge. Let's go. So leaving uh-huh. there,
0: I mean, you are very much in the hunt, right? And it's, uh, it's you, it's just Santangelo. There's a handful of other racers absolutely in the mix at that point. And for you, for everyone, it's all going to come down to that season ending West coast trip, right? Vegas, Vegas, Pomona. And the pressure has got to be mounting. You, You said you've kind of run through that, that seven day span and, and obviously you're rolling and you're hot. And to some extent, like there's probably not even time necessarily to add up points. And to to your point, it may not have even crossed your mind until, until it's basically over. It's gotta be at the forefront of your mind, going into Vegas and Pomona, just talk. I, I think, I know I've alluded to this before on the show, but in your own words for the, the, the racer, that's not been through that gauntlet and you're no stranger to, to pressure and championship implications, right? But I feel like the atmosphere at those
2: events is different. Would you agree? 100%. And going into the race, I have to tell you, and also thanks to Lee Zane, right? Because he's done a great job with helping me get get to where I am. And my family, my brothers are all very supportive. But I, I was at the thing that is different than before is my attitude was, I know I can do it. As whereas before it was, I hope I can do it. That it was never about that. It was never hoping to win. I'm, I can do this, just execute and it it will happen. So when we were, when we were going to Vegas, I was feeling great. I've have done all of my, my exercises as far, you know, mentally, as far as practice tree and thinking, you know, reviewing the logbook, things like that. So when we get to Vegas and we have the it's the national event first, I'm driving really well. I run Jody Lang and I do not put together a very good run. And that's where we talk about you when you leave an event, you put it in drive, and you got to know you gave it 100 percent no regrets. And 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 I like Jody Lang a lot, but I was disappointed in myself. Like, come on, you owe yourself better. You owe him better. Than to than to put together a run like that, and it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't good by our standards. So, uh, so I still I was pretty upset. But I think what really crushed me was losing at the divisional. I came back out for the for the divisional event, and I, I flew home for two days. I wanted to be with my family just to just to break up. You know, the monotony of being gone so long to kind of hit reset. And also to give my wife a break. Right. So then, so we come back to, to the races. I feel wonderful. I don't feel any, I don't want to say I don't feel pressure because there was definitely pressure, but I was so focused on doing everything properly that once I made my first time shot, I was golden. Like, okay, we're, we have the right setup. So we rolled through that and I think it was third round and I had to win the fourth to improve. So it was third round that i ran a gentleman and my wind light and i felt like i hit the tree i rolled up on him and he put he put together a great run he was like 20 and dead on it was, it was a e stock automatic and i roll up uh, beside him i get on the brakes and feel like i barely cross first but his wind light comes on so as i'm turning off the track i'm devastated but i'm thinking to myself because when i left the start line i felt like i that i hit the tree really good and then i and felt like I made the full sign that week right yeah, yes thank you right. yes so, so I'm like, I know I didn't miss a tree. I know I barely got there. Like, how did I lose? So as we're turning the corner, there was some confusion at the, at the times, at the time slip booth. And I can see that the lady was talking on her phone she had the time slip in her hand, but she was talking on a radio and I could tell there was something going on. I, but I could see the, the gentleman in front uh, was a little upset of, of having to, having to rerun. And she walks back to me and says, honey, we're going to have to rerun something blew between the lights. So I looked and I was like, wow, he gave me a really good run. And I thought, wow, I was pretty good. And according to my thousand foot, I was only going like 5,000 under. So I felt like I got on the brakes. No big deal. But I wasn't mad because that's the fair thing, right? I mean, it's unfortunate. You're in a high pressure situation for the championship runoff. You're going to have to rerun. like goodness gracious. So then we come back and we run right after the the alcohol car. So they, they drag the track and spray it. And I know just because I had a a lower horsepower car before, I know when they do that and you're the first pair out, you're generally going to lose. And the slower, low horsepower cars generally lose a lot more than a car like mine. So when we made the run, I just said, okay, don't try to go up there and be a hero. Just make a good lap. And, uh, and I turned it 5,000 and very disappointed with that. So I came back to the, to the truck. Everyone knew I was disappointed and when we were loading up, leaving that event, uh, that's when I I probably had a mental breakdown. I was just like this is this is here we go again. We're, like it's just slipping right through our hands. It's the it's the typical Emmons way. We're gonna lose it all over. So we we load up and uh, we leave the next morning and we drive over to Pomona and the drive was pretty good. And we drive into Pomona and I don't know, man. Uh, the mountains, the weather was beautiful, and. I just hit reset and I talked to Lee Zane a lot. I talked to my best friend, Jeff, and talked to my family and they, you know, collectively, we do a really good job getting everything reset. And my goodness, we go to go into Pomona, the time, the time shots are good. And we were looking at a, trying to get to the number one qualifying position because of the amount of cars. I've, I had a lot of weight in my car going into, the first qualifying session, I ran it detuned, and when we were sure how how many cars went down the track, that's when we looked at the ladder and said, "Man, I can probably go to number one." So Lee Zane and Jeffrey worked that out, and so we we had worked on that. Now I did not count on Steve Juan going to number one, and I should have because he's he's great, he's smart, he knows how to run his car and get to that get get to that number without without going too far under the index. So. Interestingly enough, we make the run and I and I'm turning off the track. Lee Zane texts me and says, Well, and I'm he says, Well, you're your number two qualifier. Well, I didn't read any more of the text. I just I threw the phone down, like, gosh, dog it, we we missed our opportunity. I was so focused on that for the first round by that I didn't realize, well, with the number of cars, we get the second round by. And I would rather be in that situation. Look at obviously, and even before I ran, I would rather be in that situation because I would rather run someone and anyone who who has not had a look at the track at the weather prior, let's go. Both of us are at the, are at the, we're at the same disadvantage. If you want to call it, we're trying to make a good run to turn the wind light on and then relax for that second round by, whereas if we were, if I had the first round by, then I, whoever I ran second round had already had pressure situation, hit at the tree, look at the weather. And so, yes, Looking at it, it worked out actually better that I missed the number one qualifying position and going into to that situation. And I had I did not know that Joe Santangelo had redlit first round. I told all my guys I, I do not want to know. Uh, I didn't even know he was in the front to to make the run. I was closer to the back, and I said, "Do not let anyone to my door. I don't I don't want to know anything." So. Just we, to clarify for the listener,
0: you're if you win second round, you're the world champion at that point, right? You don't know that because you don't know Santangelo's lost. But so everything's riding on this first round because win light there,
2: buy, run second round championship. One hundred percent. So I thought to myself, here we go. It's 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 time. It's it's time to go. And I had said this well once before that I was close to the to the back of the of the line to run. And as that moment starts bleeding into your life, right, the first half of the lanes are gone, then the second half of the lanes are gone, then you're looking, then you're the last five, six, seven pair. And I I can't describe it of how the feeling of what your mind goes through and what you're capable of. And because we've all been in high-pressure situations, but this is – I'm either going to win the world championship or I'm going to lose it right here not knowing if Joe Santangelo had won or lost because he could still, as long. I just wanted to get in front. That's all that mattered to me. And then we can work out the rest round by round. So as I just remember grabbing both sides of my helmet, when I was at the cone and just kind of like putting it, setting it really good on my head. And then when I hit that starter button and fired it up and put it in gear, I was like, here we go. Just make a good run, make a good run. And, uh, and I did not know that uh, that John Irving Jr. had turned it red until obviously we were past the tree and I looked over the scoreboard, and I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I'm like you got to be joking! And uh, wow, what a what a feeling! So, and I didn't even know. So as as we turned off, I stopped and and I talked to John Irving and I told him I said like, I don't know if you know whether or not that this is a pretty big round for me, but but uh, this you turning it red allowed me to turn it uh, to get in front of, the, of in front of the points championship so he was super really nice guy and a very talented racer in his own right so as I was walking back to my car my brother Gary was really happy because he had just ran a few cars in front of me and Brad Plord was down there because he had just ran Jody Lang and uh, Jimmy DeFrank had ran in front of me so he was down there so Jimmy DeFrank was the first person to me after I had talked to to John Irving and he's and he stuck his hand out and said congratulations. And I, I just assumed he was talking about, you know, going, just taking the lead. And I said, well, thank you, Jimmy, but I still have a, a lot of work to do. And he says, Oh, you, you didn't hear, uh, Joe Santangelo turned it, turned it red earlier. And I, and at that moment I absolutely lost it. I can, I can tell you, I've never experienced anything like that in my entire life. And and my, I'm glad that one of my brothers were down. There. The, the look on his face was such thrill and relief that one of us finally got it. And it was a moment that I'll forever cherish. And then to have, and Brad Porter's a real good friend of mine. He's helped me along the way a lot, uh, talking to me. And so to have that happen, it was really, man, what an incredible moment, my gosh. And you conveniently skimmed over
0: the fact that yes, obviously your, wind light comes on when your opponent goes red, but in the heat of all of that pressure, you're 002 on the tree is that
2: right <laughs> again like i said before it could have just easily been 002 red i'm i know it wouldn't have mattered right because uh because he turned to red first but i i i do enjoy that uh just for the fact that i was up for the challenge right and uh i'm and it's got I'm, a tremendous confidence going forward right oh absolutely yeah. and I drove really well. Uh, I think I made it to the quarterfinals until I ran Jeff Taylor, and I didn't put together that good of a run. It wasn't horrible, but, yes, I uh, I was very, very ecstatic. And, honestly, I felt like I was racing for free. I, I have used that terminology before, but I've never If – I'm telling you, if I can put that feeling in a bottle and come out in 2022 and feel like I'm racing that way, I really – think I'm going to have a fun year, win or lose, it's, it's going to be great because r- racing like that with no pressure, but with the confidence, I, you have to have the confidence to know you're going to go out there and execute and everything turned out just as it should. I wasn't set up to be that close. Don't get me wrong. I just, I hit it a little early, but it was, uh, an incredible feeling and a, definitely a confidence booster. And I'm, I'm very thankful that, uh, that it, it was devil. green. Cause I, I definitely like that. Yeah, for sure.
0: I, I do. I do want to circle back just a look, just slightly Jerry, because just to emphasize to the listeners and, and you touched on this to some degree, but I'm going to challenge you to, to go a little bit deeper, specifically those last three weekends, right? The, the Vegas national event where you said you fell, fell in round two to Jody Lang. Like that's the round at that time. You had no idea that that's the round to ultimately win the championship as it, as it would have, but it's the round to take the lead. And then a week later, you talk about the rerun situation. You're two win lights away from taking the lead, right? Those are significant gut punches in the moment. Right. And I think, and you had mentioned how down in the dumps you were leaving Vegas I think it it's easy. I, I was gonna say it would be easy. I think it is easy for all of us to identify with those performances, right? Because they're rounds where you you left feeling like I left something on the table with everything on the line, right? And then you even alluded to it, you know, past history of of coming up, getting so close just to to not quite get over the the mountaintop. Obviously. In retrospect, it's easy to say that that flipped for you in Pomona. You talked a little bit about that, but how were you able to remove yourself from that identity, so to speak, because it's so easy to associate with it and hit that reset button? Like, was there anything specific that you felt like catalyzed that and allowed you to really bring your best foot
2: forward when it mattered the most? I feel like that I'm a better driver today than I was five years ago, three years ago uh, two years ago, uh, one of the things that I did, uh, I threw away the blinder when I still block out the other person's tree, but I used to block and I, I didn't always block. I used to, uh, I've won a, a lot of races, open tree. And I ran just the lamb at the U S nationals last year when I won stock eliminator and my brother Terry won Superstock, And it was, early in the morning and it was very cloudy, hazy. And, and just, I've ran a lot of years with the blinder. So I knew when it was too dark to block, you're going to see the glare coming. And I've, I've had a lot of snafus with it. I mean, we all know when the sun's out and you're on the blinders great, but there's also a lot of negatives that, that come along with it. So I ran Justin Lamb at Indy that year and I knew not to block and I did it anyway. And I don't know what I did, but I, I left on nothing, but I never let go of the brake. But I punched the gas, and I got back off and punched it again, and you know it was like one sixty on the tree, and he turns it uh, fifteen thousand, which is bad for him, right? I mean it's so. Um, we we get back. I didn't even make it back to the truck. I rolled my window down. I took the blinder down and I threw it out the window as far as it could go, and I said time shots and no time shots. Sunlight, no sunlight. I'm rolling this thing through. I'm tired of looking like an idiot. I'm never going to drive like that again. And so from that moment forward, and I, I had to go back to tell you that story. So from that moment forward, I've had success because I ended up winning with no time shots. I just took it down. And, right, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy. You're just still leaving off of a flash, right? Except now you can see the tree coming. But I just, I just did it. And I thought, okay. This is how we're going to do it, no matter no matter what happens. I was always the brother in our team that turns it 30 red. I don't know why. It just it happens to me. And so that's why I would put the blinder up. And then so I told myself, no matter what happens from this point forward, I can be 30 red at the next five events, and I'm never putting it back up. I'm going to drive through it. And obviously, I'm working with, with Lee Zane now at this point. So to answer your question, what got me through that, I feel like I'm a better driver. I have applied myself. More in the last since 2018, I have really tried to, tried to narrow down and get rid of all of the the uh, what's the word? I'd try to get rid of all of the things that were handicapping me. And for one for one thing, I would always and Brad Plourd was a, was a he was really really good friend. He would say, "Man, look at your logbook, and you tell me if you can make it through an event without having a flinch." And in in, in your three time trials and all your eliminations, tell me if you don't have a flinch or a miss or something like that. He said, Jerry, you can you can drive better than that open tree because, you know, when you miss it, you're 80 or 90 and doing the blocker. And yeah, I mean, for me, I don't miss it that way. I go the other way with it. So it was believing in myself to know I can do it. That got me through the Vegas situation. And here, here we are, 2021. I've had success already. Um, for the most part, I'm driving pretty good. I've made some bad runs this year, yes, and and I'm and I'm lucky to have won the world championship. But I've also made some pretty good runs that help that helped those bad runs just kind of go away. And I feel like because I have applied myself and really done, really did the homework and the exercises that I've believed in myself more than I ever have, to go out there and execute. Again, it it goes back to that. I don't hope I can do it. It goes back to the, I know I can do it. That's what carried me through. And then obviously when I roll off the truck and I make a, I make a time shot and the the tree falls to what it, what I think it's going to be, then everything is just game on. Let's just, let's just roll through it.
1: Obviously you got your mental game in check Jerry. And that's, uh, you know, that, that leads to really good things on and off the racetrack and, and, obviously the results are are proving that theory but um tell us about harvey senior uh he he passed away four years ago and i'm sure that that his role on the team had influence prior to and uh, post his passing Uh, how much does the championship mean in, in honoring his legacy
2: It means everything to me to know that if it's possible, you know, we all believe what we believe and whether he can see this happening, whether he can. i'm I'm a guy that 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 believes that that that's possible. But we have a a a picture that we have laminated on a on a side wall of our trailer inside the trailer so that we feel like he's always with us and always watching us. And yeah, and he passed away suddenly. At his house uh, back in 2017, he just got he had just hung up with my brother Terry, and um, he was about to go get breakfast. So he, he laid down a moment, and my mom was talking to him and didn't even know he passed away. So it was just crazy how how that happened. So there's a lot of comfort there, knowing that that someone that my mother was there, and knowing that he didn't suffer like it was just as quiet and it just he just departed from the world. So it's kind of crazy. So. We've struggled with mi- missing him and wanting him to be part of all of the events that has happened in our lives, uh, you know, from that time from that time frame. But we really owe everything racing wise to my dad. It started from the early years. My dad was racing, I think, since the since 1968. I believe is is as early as as, as he had started, and he did everything on a budget. He he always tried to get everything as professional as he could, even if it just meant ball caps and t-shirts, everybody had to wear the same tennis shoes and that kind of deal. He was very instrumental and very instrumental in helping us get, get, get to the next level. When we were younger, uh, like in our 16, 17 year years of age, we had a racetrack with Mike Trumbull called East Texas Dragway. We, We had had a lease on it. So every Wednesday we would go out to the track after school. And we would, we would pick up cans, aluminum cans. We'd have to go empty all of the 55-gallon barrels of trash. So we would separate the trash, keep all the cans, and we'd turn that in for, for our, our entropy money. So my, so when we would race, my dad would make us buy our tech cards at the gate. He said he, he never wanted anyone to say that, that, that he lets us race for free. And, to the, and from the last day that, that we owned the track, we never we had to pay pay our our own way he he never he never let us in for free and thinking back about that as i'm having that conver- having this conversation with you like so just imagine you have four boys you have all stock eliminator cars and you're going to the races now we raced with 350 small blocks the racing didn't cost what it what it did what it does today but it's still expensive so my dad was putting the bill for all of that man the motor freshen ups the cars Things like that. So it's it's hard for me not to get a little emotional when I think about what he sacrificed to get us to get us through that, to get us to where we are today. And that's another reason why we want to always look good for Lucas Oil and for Hoosier and VP is because what my dad did to get us to that level, we owe it to him to keep that legacy alive and to keep improving it year after year.
1: That's awesome. Reflection on obviously a legend. In motorsports, and and a you know the the patriarch of your family, uh, but I would imagine somewhere along the line, Jerry, when when you were hitting some of those lows this season and and down on yourself, you had to reflect on conversations or, or just things he said to you over the years uh, about racing or life in general. I'd imagine there was a lot of those moments where you you dug deep in your history and had to think about those that that got you uh, as you talked about refreshed a little bit
2: there were so many good conversations that i still remember verbatim of what he would tell me one of the, one of the uh, good things he would always say was well son they're just not ready for you yet if if something would happen at an event and i i would all i would always play that back in my head as a way to to get through some of some of the trying times and one thing about my dad that I really appreciate about him is he was never like a baseball dad or a you know a baseball parent. He was always very supportive, even when we made bad runs. I mean, he he didn't come back. We didn't get back to the trailer and he never said, What are you thinking? Are you are you crazy? Or, you know, what like what are you thinking? He was supportive. And some people could say, Well, maybe he wasn't hard enough on you. Well, I, I disagree. I, I love the way that he parented. And I love that he made us feel confident and comfortable doing what we were doing at the racetrack. And that, I think that's why we still miss him so much today is because I miss the person that, it, you know, that he was to myself and my brothers. It was, he was an amazing person and, uh, and I'll always think about him and always, and I'll always want him, want him to be, to, to be part of our wins. When I won the winter nationals in 2018, that was the first time I rolled across the scales. Anytime I were. Our tradition was any, I would call him right after I would go across the scales or my brothers would call him. When we're going on the scales, we'd pick up the phone and call him and tell him that we that he had that we had won. And I remember that empty feeling rolling across the scales and you're not able to call your dad. So uh he just, you know, we don't we don't take anything for granted. We're very appreciative of relationships, whether it be my family or just friends that we have. And, you know, there's a lot of people the older we get, you know, stock 11 and superstock traditionally is an older age group so as we get older we see a lot of guys quit racing for health reasons a lot of guys kind of you know just pass away and that's why it's very important that we we remember my dad and race respectfully so that so that he's proud of us if he's you know if it's even possible that he has an inkling of what's going on awesome stuff jay
0: we're all familiar with the Emmons racing team, right? It's been a, a family effort for longer than I've been around. Right. And, and with you, your three brothers, and now additional drivers in the fold, like how many, how many race cars are part of Emmons motorsports today, team vehicles?
2: Oh gosh. I think we have, uh, like 13 is what we have probably right now. Some of them, uh, still sit, sit in the garage with car covers over them. And, so, uh, we're working on that
0: to, to your earlier point, obviously it's a lot to keep up with, right. A lot of personal responsibility and team responsibility for, for those of us that have never experienced anything like that. Like forget even trying to, to keep up with the, 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 the massive team in general, like just on race day at the racetrack, you guys have anywhere from what six to 10 vehicles going down the track at any time. I guess my, my question is twofold. What is the biggest advantage of racing with such a massive team? And then what is the biggest disadvantage
2: that we would never consider? that's a great, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. The biggest advantage I would say that's a, that's a two-part answer. The biggest advantage with racing with a bigger team and obviously with brothers, it it could definitely be with, with friends, right? As long as you're under the same umbrella, the more of you that win, it boosts your confidence, right? You again. I we're winning as a team. I see a couple of my brothers go down in front of me. They're winning, and I mean, I am very excited that that they've won. I don't care if it's first round. I'm super excited. And then also, obviously, with today's technology, we have live timing at the events, so I'm able to get a read on their runs. Just you know, I have the, I have some data in my car, and I'm watching. They're a thousand foot times as well as other people, but I know, you know, you can't really tell if other people are pulling weight or doing whatever they're doing, but I know what my brother's car is, how they're set up. So that's obviously the big advantage. Uh, the, the mental boost and watching them succeed is, is equally as important. The disadvantage is that, is that you can get yourself too thin. And if you're on a quick turnaround and you know there's not very many classes in between, that you have to have someone to help get these, you know, get your car ready. Like when you go to the lanes, it, it's nice to have someone that can turn your fan off in 15 minutes when your temperature gets down properly, or you know, watch your trans temp. You can't let the car get too cold. Can't get it. Let can't let it get too warm. Somebody that can help charge your battery, get the fuel while you're going up. Someone can get the weather. It's rewarding, but it also you have to be careful because, like I said. I may only drive one car next season, I haven't really decided i have to I'm gonna make sure that I'm very prepared if that's the route I decide to take because for the first time the last three events that we went to, I only drove one car because I wanted to focus only on my camaro, and because of that, it was an awakening of what I was missing out on on everything else as far as uh my brothers helping them. As far as weather or whatever the case may be, you you can definitely have a point of diminished return where you're not as racing two cars is not as benefit as not a benefit as you think it might be, especially when you have a lot of other cars in your stable.
1: You know, Jerry, we, we just talked about it. There's a lot of cars at the races on any given day that that belong to an Emmons. Much like that, there's a lot of people at the races on any given day that have the last name Emmons. And let's be honest, those of us that don't see you guys on a regular basis, none of us know which one of you is which. What is it like to constantly be mistaken for your brothers?
2: It happens at every race. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people just will say Aerie, like Gary, Terry, Jerry. So I just say Aerie. And because they know we're going to look and there's, I can tell you it's happened a million times. People will think they're talking to my, to me and they're, and, and they're actually talking to Terry or, or to Gary. A a lot of the the local racers know us, but a lot of the out of town guys uh, may not know us. Or maybe if a fan walks by the trailer and he's talking to one of us and then he, he comes back later and he thinks he's talking to the same brother. That's it's comical and and very interesting, but we never embarrass anyone. We we just roll with it and we figure it out eventually, and we just kind of get the conversation. You just keep the conversation going, and and it's okay.
1: Did, did either of the other Aries get congratulated on their their championship?
2: No, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, no,
1: <laughs> that's a good thing. That and could have got awkward
0: there there was a time because the listener may not know like we go way back right the my first my first national event right the first time that I got to compete in in a national event I'm I'm thinking the year is 1998 I was in an Emmons family car like that's a pretty cool thing to look back on right and there was a time when we spent a lot of time together I could tell you guys apart I cannot now so yeah I'm I'm right in the The stinnett had talked about calling all of you, Larry, just to know that he's wrong. So (laughs) I'm I'm guilty as charged.
2: That's hilarious. (laughs) You know, I think now it's probably easier to to tell us apart than back back in the, in the nineties. I think personality, if you know us, if you're around us for any length of time, even if you think that we look similar, which obviously we do, but if you think we look similar where you can't really tell one of us apart, and there are physical traits that, that I tell people, if you really want to know, then I can tell you and it's, it makes it super easy, but I think our personalities set us apart more than anything. Gary is very serious. Uh, Terry is, is really happy. Go lucky is always smiling, always like the life of the party. And I'm kind of like the guy that's that's in between. I, I don't know, but if you, our personalities definitely, definitely tell the difference.
1: Do you tell your brothers that just to make sure that I, I help everyone realize, you know, at least who I am. I'll just wear my championship ring, and <laughs> that'll make sure that people recognize me as Jerry. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that that that's going to go over over uh, pretty well. the other The other evening, I was I I was at home, and uh, you know, since I won the championship, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. So I, I tell my four year old daughter, it's like, do you know your daddy is. Is a world champion. And Lord knows how, however many times I've said that now. And uh, last night I told her that again. And she says, Yes, daddy, we know. So she, she really, I think she's tired of hearing it too. But, but, uh, yeah.
1: Well, it is something to be super proud of. And, and, you know, we, we, some people could consider that bragging, but I see, uh, through this short interview that it's, it's more prideful than than ever brag but surely among the siblings there's a little bit of of trash talk you know i mean gotta be just a little bit of that jerry i mean tell us a little bit about how that goes when you're when you guys are razzing one another
2: you know what big jed like i'm gonna i gotta tell you that doesn't happen i mean we just don't don't operate that way you know what an interesting story is is it Kurt Busch and Kyle Busch that run obviously in NASCAR, and I've, I've watched a couple of, of of videos on them, and I'm and there's quite the competition between the, between those two, and I almost I'm sure they're they're good people in their own right, but I'm almost disappointed to see that I would not want to grow up in a house where there's that kind of competition, because we're all for each other. Like it, it is. A hundred percent. I want them to win as bad as I want me to win. And you can, and a very good example of that is the look on my brother, Gary's face when I had won the world championship, because he knew Joe Santangelo had turned it red, but he didn't tell me that at the time, at the end of the finish line, after I had won that, that one round, the look on my brother's face, if I could, it's crystal clear in my mind, but that shows you how there is. And I know you're joking about the trash talk, but there, that shows you how there's no jealousy and it's all for one, one for all. So when I like when I watched that that episode of of the Bush brothers, and I'm like, man, like, like that, that I think they would probably enjoy it if if they were not as I mean, we're all competitive, but like there, there's a better way to be than that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah.
0: parent corner, Jerry. Like, I because I don't I in my mind, that's in my perspe- perception, that's not normal, right? How, looking back, how did your, your parents cultivate that sense of camaraderie or was it a natural thing?
2: I don't think it was cultivated in any specific way. I think it was the love that my mother and my father gave us throughout the years. It was the fact that my dad always gave at the time the best that he could give to each one of us. Uh, interesting. I was the last one to start driving a race car. So, and it was because my car wasn't ready at the time I had to shoot. have always had the Chevelle, but we didn't have, we did not have a stock limited motor for it at the time, but I was the last one of the brothers to start racing. And I, and I remember I wasn't jealous. I was helping them at the races when they, when, when they would race it, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary, but somehow my dad was super, super good at that. And my, and my mother was good at it too, but I think that that comes within love of the household. And, and just not trying to make anything a competition and we are competitive people, but just not with each other. We just, you know, again, we're one for all, one for one, all for one, one for all. All right. So
0: we have to ask, because I know that you, you uh, are at least a semi-regular listen, listener to the show, so you've heard us talk about it. It's a constant source of debate late in the season in any points chase, right? The, the debate on quote-unquote gifted rounds. And we tried to give both sides of this, and, and looking at it from a team and a family perspective, I know that given the level of integrity that your family operates with, I, and the, having been around racing your whole life, there's no doubt in my mind that you guys have had really intentional discussions about this and how to handle it. Just frame your perspective. Like, how do you guys handle that? Because it's, it's, let's face it. You've probably at any given event, you could have what three to five Emmons in stock eliminator, right? It seems inevitable that you're going to pair up. Someone's going to be in better points position than another How do you guys put that into
2: perspective? How do you frame it, and what is your approach? That's uh, man. That is. I knew that was going to get asked at at some point. And how we look at it is, it's never, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to ask for it. And uh, if it if it comes up into conversation, because I don't ever want there to be a, I don't ever want someone to dilute my championship because of something. That may have or may not have happened, but, but it is, for example, if like I had to run Gary earlier in in the year and he did not show up for, for one of the rounds. Now he was having a brake caliper issue. So his rotors were, were turned red. I mean, they were in, in his white Cobra jet. That was a legit issue. And he said, I'm not going up there because even if I beat you, I can't. I cannot keep going the the rest of the rounds. And and it makes no sense. And I said, No, you have to show up. You have to run because this is not going to be on my conscience. He says, He said, This is easy. It's not your decision. It's my decision. I don't care what anyone says. And that's it. That's how we do it. So, uh, yes. And I know that, that that goes on. And, you know, I think it's about how you look at it. And if you can feel good, feel good about about yourself, I know that I've never asked asked for a round. I I'm going to give you a really good example. Now, I had a friend of mine, I won't say his name, but we were at the Dallas National. I think it was the at the Houston Dallas race. So I'd already won the Houston race, so we're in the eliminations for the Dallas National. And he came up to me and asked me before we ran. He said, "Look, this is a I know that this is points implication for you." And, uh, and, but, and so as he started to say it, I said, I love you and I appreciate you asking, but the answer is no, we're going to race for it. And uh, by golly, he almost crushed me. I mean, he put together a run that he should have won and talking about being lucky. I was lucky. I put together a really good run and he actually had me, I think a hundredth on the tree and went a couple of thousand under, but I, I dropped the dead on. I mean, it was a very good race and that's exactly how, how I wanted it to be. It's I think, and we've talked about this to some extent before, I think it's it's
0: natural from the outside to put ourselves, say, in, in your shoes this season is, is you're the one competing for a championship and you want to earn every round along the way. I would imagine at some point the shoe's been on the other foot, like how difficult is it to compartmentalize when you're racing one of your brothers that
2: has a whole lot more to lose in that instance than you do? It's easy. It's not even for discussion. I'm (laughs) staying back at the truck. There's, you're not going to, I don't care. That's just, that's how I feel about it. If, if you have an opportunity, I want you to capitalize on it because who's to say I'm going to beat you anyway? Uh, Who's to say I'm going to beat them anyway? I mean, yes, you got to go down the track, anything can happen, but I am adamant that that's, that that's how I feel about it. And whether I get, persecuted for that thought process or not. It's my decision. And again, it's not their decision. They're not the one asking me or telling me it's my decision. And it's, it's never brought up. It's never talked about. It's just, that's how I feel. And if I don't have anything to gain and you do see you later, I'll see you next round.
1: Well, you know, I think what I'm hearing there is if you did show up for the round none of your siblings would, would hold a grudge against you. I think the, the team orders or, or lack thereof is that, you know, the, the person that is on the receiving end of the wind light or needing the wind light the worst would never ask anyone to compromise their own race or, or give it up. So you make a personal decision to do what you do and no, that's not a team issued order or directive. So I think that's about as honorable as you can be in that situation. And a lot of people might judge the answer you just gave Jerry, but um, until someone has lived that and been through every single round all year as a team, uh, all over the country, and competed at that level until someone is in that position, they'll never understand what you just said.
2: I, I think I would have to agree to that. And I would, I would think that when they do get in that situation and, and again, I, to reiterate, we've never asked, asked the other brother for anything. It, it comes from, it comes from the one that has a lot, a lot less to lose to make that, to make that decision because, Whoever is going to trying to win something, it's it's not going to dilute. We don't want them to feel like it's diluted in any way because it wasn't their decision; it was our decision. Uh, one year, and, and I'll say this: so one year, uh, my brother had to run Lee Zane. I think it was the year Lee Zane won the world championship. He was he had beat my brother Gary in the final. Uh, in stock eliminator. And I believe, and I see, I believe it was in the semis, uh, uh, Kyle Seiple was running a silver firebird, which was the same class as my brother, Gary. So they knew that if they had the, that if, that if they ran, uh, Lee Zane and Seipel ran each other and Seiple would win then that means Gary would have cycle heads up and it would be over in the final, right? We were considerably faster and we saw it happen, right? We saw them when, as soon as they saw Gary win, boom, uh, around he goes and he, he doesn't make the run against Lee Zane. And I don't judge them for that. I think that is smart. That's very strategic and that's teamwork. And that's just, that's how you roll.
1: Yep. No doubt about it. And uh, I appreciate you being transparent with that answer. I think that was very well put, um, to wrap this thing up, Jerry, uh, obviously you've talked a little bit about some people that, that supports you guys and your racing program. I'm sure there's some special thanks that you'd like to give, um, if you haven't covered that already and, uh, cover that for us, tell us who that, who's on that list. And then uh, you've talked a little bit about your plans for next year. Obviously, whatever they are, you're going to go at it very hard. But uh, tell us a little bit about those 2022 plans.
2: Sure. So, you know, a couple of guys that, that come to mind. Obviously, my brothers do a phenomenal job. We race well together. We work together. We, I mean, we do everything together. So they make it fun to go racing. And I, as much as I love racing, I, I don't want to ever think about racing without them. I don't think it would be the same. And, uh, and I hope I never have to, I hope I take my last breath before that, before I have to make that decision. Uh, Pete Perry is a really good friend of ours. He's an older gentleman and he does a lot for us mechanically. And he's, he's one of these older guys that can just crush it. And he does really, really well. And it's, I feel bad for him because we wear him out. He's running valves on cars. He's if there's a problem, it seems like there's always something going on. You know, when you have so many cars, there's going to be an issue with something. And between pulling heads off of a car, in between his own runs, he's pulling the heads off, uh, replacing head gaskets, or he's changing the rear gear, or he's uh gosh, I mean you name it. There's there's just always something that he seems to be doing with us. And we really appreciate his support and his help of what he does for us. Uh, I have a friend of mine, uh, several friends, uh, Clint Rigby, uh, Todd Bailey. Uh, those guys are, are guys that race with us and, and go racing with us when they can and are a big asset to our team. And, uh, you know, friends like Gary Stinnett guys like the, that would, when I, when I pick up the phone, to call him, he answers and he'll, he'll, he'll talk me through a question. Obviously Lee Zane, my best friend, Jeffrey Miller is, is my, my number one man, he helps me with. The, the dialing in, he helps him with strategy and he helps me like there, there are times when, when he'll open the door before we go into the burnout and he may change the dial in and he'll say, you know, he'll say you're holding whatever or whatever and say, good luck and shut the door. And I'm looking at him and my eyes are as big, like, are you sure we're supposed to do this? And so it's funny because he, his belief in me to do something really makes me believe I can do it. And so you execute it. There's that word again. So, It's I really – Lee Zane and Jeffrey have really been very important to me. Um, My brother, Speedy, I have to say this. him, He's been off for about four or five years, and him coming back this season, 2021, and then now also winning the championship could not have been more storybook for my family and us. I really love racing with my older brother. I have a lot of respect for him. And there's something about the way that he approaches everything in life that is just – something to just look back and watch and to be able to race with him. And now his son, his oldest son is racing with us. So that probably touches me more than anything. It's because even though my dad's gone, the band's back together. So to speak, we get to race together and that's, that's a lot. And uh, David Forbes and his family from Kentucky, they do a lot of work when we are at the same event, for example, at Indy, when, when I won the all-stars, I had to tear down my, my nephew will had won class eliminations and his Camaro and we had to tear his motor down and Pete Perry and David Forbes attacked it. And I mean, we were just in their way. We just kind of stood back and let, let them do their work. And it's never a question. Like we don't even have to ask. They just step up. Like who does that? I mean, these guys do that. And it's just really cool. And we met David Forbes because we sold him a race car and because we sold him a race car, we are, we're like brothers almost. We're, we're really tight. So, and, uh, and I want to touch on, uh, like just people like other racers, like the Wagners, um, you know, Kim, uh, Brett candies and Kim candies are friends of ours. They race with, it's like, these are people that when, when you win, they're, they're so supportive and they're happy for you. I just, I'm looking at a, at a care package now on my desk from Brett and Kim candies from when I won the championship, same thing with the Wagners, but a lot of the friends that we have Stan and Sheila Holt with Lupita Tia. Mike and Paula Cotton who are superstars for us they are really very supportive and happy when we win and and I could keep going on and on of listing people but one person I want to I want to say before we talk about our plans is Austin Williams. He is a really cool guy and he's was very supportive. He actually gave me his gold number 1. In 2014 he won the world championship and he had a gold number 1 outlined in black and i've and it was you know gold leaf and i loved it and i would always talk to him about it and and i you know admired him for being younger and winning the championship he's very methodical in everything that he does so i pay attention to him and get get a lot of good get get a lot of good advice from him and he's just a, a cool guy and he's another guy that really wants to see people succeed and that means a lot to me like he's not a, a poser he's not just telling you something and and the guy that walks off and says, that guy's never going to win anything. Austin Williams isn't that guy. So in 2015 at the Dallas national event, he walks over. That was his last event with, with his duster. He walks over and he, he had pulled off the gold leaf number one off of his car. And he brought this to me because I would tell him, I had been talking to him about winning, winning the championship. So as silly as it sounded, and I know people laughed at me, but that's okay. But I, I fully believe for it to for it to come to fruition, you got to speak it in into the universe, right? So I would say, I'm gonna win the win the world championship. Like I, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm going to. That's my goal. And he he knew I was serious, right? He's another one of those guys that really listen when you talk. He brings me his number one off of his car at the Dallas Nash Event. And I and I was like, this is incredible. I love it. So I took the number one. I opened up my door and I put it on my glove box of my race car. So every time when I get inside and put my belts on and I go to crank the car up, the first thing I see is that gold leaf number one. So if that's not inspiration, Austin Williams, thank you for that. I'll all, and I'll never take it out ever. And it's, uh, you know, it's guys like Austin Williams. And even, uh, when he, I think he came over in, uh, Vegas, I believe it was, or maybe, or maybe it was, uh, Pomona, but he, he just had a talk with me and really had some good advice. And I appreciate that. Again, it's the people that we meet along the way, the people that are part of this. I definitely didn't win this on my own. And and for that reason, I have a this championship means so much to me. And so going forward to 2022, we have a, we have cars apart, motors getting freshened, transmissions getting freshened and we're, uh, we're not adding any more new cars to the stable other than I may stick to only driving one car. I still don't know that. We're going to try to get Lee Zane in with us at a few more races to actually drive one of our cars. Uh, I've always said with him, because uh, he he would fly in to help, and I said, no, I want you to drive because I, I want to see what you're looking at. I want to see your strategy. I want to watch what you do, and so maybe we'll have him at a, in a few cars, uh, in a, one car at a, at a few events, if not more, to see what we can do, but we're very excited for 2022. We're, we have a lot of momentum behind us, obviously a lot of confidence, but we're, we're practicing even more. I have not stopped, uh, on my practice regimen. I've not stopped thinking about what I have to do to get better. Cause just because I won, I don't mean, even though like those rounds that I won throughout the year, I still dissect that and I see, wow, that you could have just as easily lost that round as you could have won that. So I'm trying to to get that figured out and not and uh, and try to make that better make that window smaller so i can keep the mistakes at a minimum
1: very good stuff um man that's a a great group of folks in support of you uh really cool to hear you uh, give them some recognition and talking about your 2022 plans it sounds like everything mentally, physically, and and equipment wise is all rolling in the right direction, Jerry. So we're wishing you a ton of success in 2022, and it's going to be fun. Uh, On our end, we we get a, you know, a a kind of a unique angle or unique view. We get to see what you did, and then we get to discuss it on a a somewhat weekly basis and and tell the world about what we saw. So we're looking forward to not only seeing it, but discussing it. If you have listened to the show much at all you know we're kind of done but we're not um we got rapid fire <laughs> and everybody that we interview we, we try to give them a little bit of rapid fire and we got some rapid fire questions for you that it's going to help us get to know you just a smudge better if you're okay mm-hmm. with
2: that Oh, no, let's go this is this is going to be fun i can tell already
0: <laughs> all in right truth, first question. we're not nearly as, as consistent with this as we should be but we need to be more consistent with this and we did remember at this time so here we go <laughs>
1: <laughs> if uh if you could drive any car in any class outside of what you typically do which is stock and super stock what would it be and why
2: nitro funny car just because it's a wild beast and uh I would love to. I would just love to just to do it one time. I think I'd love to just to do a burnout in one, but definitely a nitro funny car.
0: Oh, wow. Cool. Sure That's not the answer I was expecting. I like it. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So I, I'm going to follow up. Jerry Emmons, name and onomatopoeia. Don't worry. I had to look it up too. So an onomatopoeia is a. A word that that sounds like what it describes, like buzz or hiss, quack.
2: Hmm. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let me think about that for a second. Um, geez, I'm drawing a blank. Give we can a come back to it. it. No, no. Hang I love on. I'm, I'm going to answer this. I'm gonna, I, so well spoken. That...
0: I just I love I love locking them up.
2: This is the best part so so something that that um means what it sounds like you're saying right right uh, chump all right okay. all right I like Because <laughs> I felt because i have felt like the chump more often than not chump. so that's-, that's a good one I hadn't thought about it yeah that 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 fits
1: <laughs> good answer what is your hidden talent, Jerry?
2: Hidden talent. I don't have one. I'm not musically inclined. Oh
1: boy. You've hidden got talent. a hidden talent. I mean, can you do a Rubik's cube in like 13 seconds? No, I can't like do me.
0: That.
1: Like me, I can eat a whole watermelon. Like, I mean, it really doesn't matter what size it is. And I consider that a talent.
2: <laughs> so really everybody's talent. got something. I'm looking around my office trying to figure out if there's something that's going to trigger that response. And the only thing I can yeah. I'm, I'm at a loss. I can't even. Yeah. I mean, only I can do is, is use Lucas slick mist to, to spray wax my car. That's the only I can do that. That's good.
1: <laughs> Way to get the sponsors in there. Well done,
2: sir. You consider yourself a talented slick master. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only because I, like, I can do it only because I can do it in, in a pretty quick fashion with all the cars we have. I can, I can knock out four cars pretty quick.
1: Yeah, but see, I would think a hidden talent is like, you know how much a 2016 Nissan Maxima with 138,000 miles is worth. Just like, damn.
2: oh, OK, you know, That's what? A hidden I'm, talent. Glad, I'm glad you brought that. Here we go. My hidden talent is I can pay too much for a car uh, at any given time. That's <laughs> oh, my boy. hidden talent. My brothers will, will back that story up. Yeah, I'm yes. sure. <laughs> Thanks for the trigger. That's it. <laughs> Sorry. I can back that up. I got
0: proof. <laughs> Jerry, what is the punchline to your
2: favorite joke? I don't need to know the joke. I just need the good part. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, a funny guy, so I don't even know a joke. I'm not I, doing too I, well on these questions. I'm sorry about that. I've read the full
0: transparency. We get most of these off of like a, you know, a list of 250 odd uh, rapid fire questions. So I read this one. I thought about it and I, I'll just, I'll just fill in with you because I'm not going to tell you the joke. Um, but the punchline is wave. Maybe we'll follow up on that like three episodes down the road. I'll, I'll tell the joke, but the punchline
2: is wave. wave. Yeah. Drawing a blank. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I mean, a boring guy.
1: Well, now that makes me want to ask you, Jerry. I've asked it on the show before, but uh, how does a cat like his steak cooked?
2: Medium plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So next time somebody asks you that question, just say, Rear.
2: you got it. I love it. There's <laughs> the first line. <laughs>
1: All right. <laughs> over, <laughs> under, <laughs> over, under on times you're mistaken for your brothers in a race weekend. And, and we use the word weekend loosely because you guys like get there on Wednesday, but over, under eight.
2: Oh, over eight.
1: <laughs> at least that many or more Then okay. at least,
2: at least. Awesome.
1: Well, now it's officially wrapped up, Jerry, and I got to tell you, man, this, you did awesome job uh, representing your family, your team, your sport, and your sponsors. This was a a great interview, and I know our listeners have enjoyed it. I hope they've enjoyed it as much as me, which uh, would be hard to do because it was awesome. So we appreciate you taking some time for us, uh, telling us your story, Um, hearing you do the rundown of the pomona event the breakdown of of all of that that was happening within you and on the racetrack and in the staging lanes gave me goosebumps uh you tell your story well my friend and uh, it's a heck of a story to tell because you are the the 2021 stock eliminator world champion and we're super proud of you and, and we certainly appreciate you sharing that with us tonight
2: thank you big jed and i'm it's it's incredible to hear you say that it's still hard to believe that it's really, that it's really happened. And I'm, I'm just, I love it. I love when I hear it, I, when I see it in print, it's like, wow, we, we finally did it. One quick thing, if I could say, I'd like to give a, a big thank you to Jeff and Cody Lane and their, their crew uh, after we won the championship, they took us out to the, to the Pomona mining Valley. It's a restaurant in Pomona, California. That's a, it's a very nice place. And we had a victory dinner celebration, and I appreciate uh, their friendship and what they do for us as well.
1: Well, I'm glad you got to give them a little thank you and recognition as well. And, uh, and certainly, again, on, on behalf of Luke and our listeners, thank you, man. We appreciate you sharing it and um, hadn't got to talk to you before tonight. Uh, I've been a big fan of, of anyone named Emmons for many years and seeing what you and your family have accomplished Uh, this tonight just, uh, took it to a whole new level. So I'm pulling for you, bud. Hope, uh, hope you continue to see those wind lights in 2022 and beyond.
2: Sounds good. Thank you, big Jed. Really do appreciate you and what you guys do for the sport of drag racing. Uh, we listen to your show all the time when we're driving down the road, or if I, even if I'm doing a, a local drive, I'm going to the auctions, uh, I'll put the podcast on and, and we appreciate all the people you have on and, and the professionalism that you guys give to the sport. You well, thank of, you for
1: recognizing uh, that.
0: You, you kind of uh, took the words out of my mouth, Jerry. I was going to turn that around. Like, obviously congratulations on your season and your championship. And, uh, and just, I think I'm, I'm certainly on my own behalf, but I think on behalf of racers everywhere, thank you. Thank you and your family for the way that you conducted yourself for the way that, for all that you've done and given back to our sport over the years and continue to do, like, I think it shines through in, in when you get an opportunity to to have conversations like this, but you and your family are everything that is right about this sport. And so just
2: thank you for, for all that you do. And, and again, congrats, man. That means the world to me more than, you know, and, and thank you for the nice words, Luke. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you at the races, and congratulations on your domination of the World Championship as well. It's very cool to, to share this season with you and to seeing how, how well you put those, that scorecard up. So thank you for, for the compliment, and you guys uh, have a great Merry Christmas, and we'll definitely see, see you hopefully in the Winter Circle bore in 2022. Look forward to uh, seeing you at the D4 Banquet, sir. We'll celebrate. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Jerry. All
1: uh, right, Jerry. Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas, guys.
0: Bye-bye. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com.